Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, where two best friends tell each other stories about history, true crime, and other shenanigans. I'm Courtney. I'm Ashley. Ashley, you had a story for me. Tell I me. Do okay. So at work yesterday, um, there was like this mom and her little kid. I think he was probably like two, but the pharmacist thinks he was like four. But like four is kind of old for the for what happens. Anyway, I don't know. So she's like. I'm cashing her out. She's paying for her prescription. Everything's fine. And then she, like, turns and looks at her son, and she's like, don't do it. And I, I didn't process in my head what she was talking about. Because he was just like, there's, like, a Dr. Scholl's machine you know, thing for, like, the custom orthotics or whatever. So he's, like, standing in front of that. And then, so she's, like, looks at me, and she goes, do you have anything to, like, wipe up? And I was like, we have paper towels but I can get some for you like thinking that he had spilled his juice or something nope oh I know you know what he did he pooped (laughs) he shat and it fell out of his shorts all over the carpet all yeah paper towels ain't gonna clean that up and so like (laughs) long story short we replaced two carpet tiles (laughs) because the pharmacist was like no, or just she goes out there with their screwdriver after they leave because the mom like ground it down into the carpet thinking that would be a good idea. No, it's not a good idea. Like, like if she had been trying to clean up after a dog and the dog had been too messy and she just like, yeah, there was a the whole thing. So she goes out with the screwdriver and like pries up the little carpet tiles. Now we have two that are much more blue than the rest of the surrounding carpet. Love it the second time she's had to clean poop off the floor in as many months like i turned around and i looked at her and i was like i think that kid just pooped on the floor and she just sighs and goes this is my life now (laughs) and goes out to help clean it up and i was like you are a trooper that kept happening to me when i was guarding there was one summer where i don't know what it was but they were always within my eye line Mm -hmm. and i was just like I mean, the one the mom was trying to get the kid to the bathroom. And she just, didn't even, like, try, though. Like, she just no. stood there and kept paying. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I will g- gladly call someone else over to help the rest of the people in line. If you want to, like, run to the bathroom with your kid, like, I'll wait. Do you? <laughs> but no. Instead, you just let him poop all over the floor. Like, she wasn't even embarrassed or anything. Like, not that I would want her to be, but, like, she did not bat an eye. I offered her How many times has this happened? Right. Like, that's what one of the other texts was like, I bet that's not even the first time today. Because, like, if he'd been wearing a pull-up or something, she said that they were potty training him. But if he'd been wearing a pull-up or something, it wouldn't have just fallen out the bottom of his shorts. So, he was, like, free-balling it. (laughs) So. Oh, my God. It's like those people who... I was watching, it's one of those super, it was on Bravo, let's not lie. Of course it was. Um, and these parents wanted to, like, free-range their kid in New York City, a.k.a., like, not put no. a diaper on him. What? And so, yeah, it was, one of the, it was like the baby show they had for a little bit, like, helping, like, ultra-rich yeah. parents in New York with their kids. Don't like, figure your out. child. Be gross and use a cloth diaper if you have to, but, like... Uh, but <laughs> they had a fake baby and we're showing that like because I think the dad wanted to do it and just showing the dad how like you can't no you don't know when a baby's gonna poop no I half the time don't know when the dog's gonna poop I thought she's gonna poop today on her walk and I was like I hate my life because 
I have to then carry what basically is a horrible yeah. smelling thing. And I ran out of uh, hand sanitizer in my purse. <laughs> she just put some in the dog bag. Uh, yeah, we have a dog bag. Don't judge me. She's a big dog. We need water bottles need with to. her. Yeah. Water bottles, treats, her cloth water bowl so I can take it anywhere. Mm-hmm. We're set. We're good. Um, sometimes snacks for me, depending on where <laughs> we're going. If we're going to the beach, there's snacks for me in there because I'm not carrying two bags. No. Why would you? Uh, yeah. Why make more work for yourself? No? No, I finally got smart when I took her to the beach last time and we had our life jacket. I carried it to the beach, like the life jacket. Mm-hmm. And then when we were coming back, I was like, fuck no. <laughs> it is awkwardly hot. And you just covered in sand and whatever Lake Erie is. So you had a story, too. Do you want to tell it now? Uh, yeah, I have a happy story before Yay. you go into your topic. Before I terrify um, you. So our na- next-door neighbors have adopted Schnitzel as their dog as well. <laughs> well, they had a dog when, they, like, they've only lived there a couple of years. They had a dog, but it was older, and they had to put it down. Because uh-huh. there were problems. And they're really cute. I guess the other day they were calling, um, they went to, like, a birthday party, and they were calling the other dog Schnitzel. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they really love our dog. <laughs> but it was the little girl's like fifth or sixth birthday. Also, you should know my dad and I both had wrong names for her. <laughs> and Caitlin goes, no, it's Ella. And we're like, nope, not close. Not close. Um, was it actually Ella? Yeah, it's Ella. Okay. I, no, that's the, the ones we picked. I was like Lily. And then my dad was something else with an L. Um <laughs> I mean, you have the L. There's two L's in Ella, so, like, you're kind of close. Yeah. I've only, like, the little boy comes over more, so he just yeah. wanders into our yard. Um, last time we were recording, my sister came downstairs mid-recording. One, to scare me, and two, to let me know she, <laughs> she had inadvertently been babysitting our neighbors because they were just following Schnitzel around, and Schnitzel was just following my sister around, and then their parents couldn't find them. Oh, is that what that was? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, knew, I remember she came down, and it just didn't couldn't hear like what she was talking about yeah yeah so it was Elle's birthday so i went and got a card that had a german shepherd licking its lips on it and it said <laughs> like the cake will be postponed um and my dad <laughs> went yeah my dad went to uh dairy queen and got a gift card for her like a five dollar one because she's five you know yeah. they get, they, it's it's enough for a small child they're like money right i have no concept of this <laughs> i am the richest <laughs> man in the world and you gave them like three dollars yeah you're like yes you are child yes you are yeah so and then we made i was like i wrote a note because my dad's like write that schnitzel tr- made sure the ice cream was good for her so i wrote that <laughs> in there and then I said, happy birthday from the messages and schnitzel. Well, this morning, my dad goes, you got a card. And it says, Courtney, and the most, I will have to post a picture of it, the most adorable smell- spelling of schnitzel, because it's not close. There's not <laughs> enough consonants in it. Um, <laughs> she doesn't have any concept of money. You expect her to understand consonants? No, no, no I know, but it was just really cute. It was so cute, because it's just the S-N-I- T-E-L, I think. That's adorable. Yeah. And it was, I could probably post the card. It was like a little thank you note. And it was the cutest. Aw. It was the cutest thing ever. Because she's like, thank you for the ice, the Dairy Queen. I like Dairy Queen very much. Thank you for the card. It was a very nice card. Aw. But the fact that it was just. a very good thank you note. Good job, Ella. 
Yeah, and it was just cute because it was, but yeah, so it was really precious. I mean, they're both really nice. The other night, like, this is my life. Like, if I see them out in the evening, I just make sure to take the dog out because they run around with her. <laughs> and it's like, so cute. Tire the dog out, please. Well, and she's missing Caitlin so much. It's like, yeah. It's like an 85 pound needy baby that is attached to me at all given times. I can't go upstairs. Like, she tried to follow me upstairs today and she knows she's not allowed to go. And she's just looking at me like, Please. It got, well, we FaceTimed with my mom and my sister last night, so it made yeah. it a little worse because she heard Caitlin's voice and she couldn't find Caitlin. Right. Aww. She's like, Mom? Mom? <laughs> I can hear you. Where are you? Yeah. And my phone's not big, so you can't, like, see. She couldn't yeah. see it. So it's really, it's like, <laughs> she just thinks Caitlin's at work for a really long time. And it's just, like, she'll, like, sit by the door at night. And it's really cute and sad. And it's just, like, real... And then during the day, it's just, like, extra neediness, and I have shit to do, because I'm moving across the country at the end of the month, so... Yeah. I need to get, like, figure out where I'm living. I need to get shit done. Um, it's just a lot. Yeah, so, that's, that was my happy story, so you have... No, there's some good in the world. I got a thank you note from a five-year-old that was the most precious thing. And now I'm gonna ruin it. (laughs) <laughs> so if you want to feel happy for the rest of the day just pause it stop here just stop here maybe after the end just come back just come back and re-listen yeah. to the story about the adorableness it's as a, i just okay so this one isn't actually that bad it's i mean it's not great he, he's murdered <laughs> but like it's in as much as a murder can be funny it's, it's kind of funny are there clowns and banana peels and like wiley the coyote no I don't fucking care. I mean, I, there are aspects of Wile E. Coyote in this one. I'll give you that. So, um, alright. So, today we're going to talk about the murder. Well, it's not even, it's not even really a murder. It's not even really a murder because there was an intent. So, we're talking about the mysterious death of Greg Flanagan. Great last name. I, right? It sounds like an Agatha, Agatha, Agatha Christie. <laughs> character yeah. yeah kind of are we just all in agatha christie's world yes it's agatha christie's world and we're just living in it do you not know that i thought she was dead still her world um i'm taking most most of the information here from a vanity fair article it's called the body in room 348 and it's written by mark bowden i'm gonna confess that the first time i read it uh, i was at work and it was dead and so I was reading true crime stuff at work because it's what normal people do. Um, Fair. Anyway, so. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was listening to the Fiercely Altered Perspectives. I believe that was what it was. Uh, episode on. Or no. I was listening to the final episode of the Dean Carroll episode for, I think it was Fat, the Fat Pod. Um in line to get Starbucks, like, but, like, in the car drive-thru. So, you know... I do that all the time. I think the people at McDonald's have heard way more my favorite murder than they ever wanted to. Okay, so, Greg Flanagan traveled a lot for work. Um, he 
was what's called a landman, which he like basically he was the guy that oil companies would send out to find new land to drill on. So like he would go out and sort of pave the way for them to come in and drill. Um, this is in Texas, if you didn't know. Beaumont, Texas. Um, but as such, he like had a routine for when he was traveling. So like he usually didn't leave his hotel room. He would crank up the air conditioner because he liked a cool room at night. Man after my own heart. Um, he would sit back on the bed and lay out like a hand towel. I'd put down a towel underneath like an ashtray. And he would like sit there and smoke and watch TV <laughs> and eat a candy bar and talk to his wife. Like, that's all he did. I know this one! Shh! I you think probably I do. do. You probably do. I'm not Gareth in the dollop at this point. <laughs> so, Wednesday, September 15th, 2010, in room 348 of the Elegante Hotel in Beaumont, Texas. That's exactly what he was doing. He's sitting there, lounging, smoking, eating... <laughs> this is... Some really good research here. Good job, Mark Bowden. Um, he was eating a Rice Krispie Crunchy Bar, drinking a root beer, watching Iron Man Two, because it's 2010. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to do the flavor p- profile. Uh, yeah, it, that's an interesting. Wait, what choice, was the pop again? Root beer. Root beer. Chocolate covered rice. Crispy Crunch Bar. It could be okay. Or BC's Crispy Crunch Bar. I don't know. Anyway, uh, he does not make it to the end of the movie. Well, that's depressing. That's an okay movie. It's an okay movie. It's not as good as Iron Man 1, but it's okay. So, every Monday, he makes the drive from Lafayette, Louisiana, heading west on Interstate 10. Um, he ended up, like I said, in Beaumont. How long of a drive is that? I don't know. Why did you not do that? I, you knew I would ask time-wise. You know what? I should have, but I didn't. So, like I said, he doesn't make it to the end of Iron Man 2. Um, they find his body, like, face down, head towards the door. Like, he was walking towards the door and fell forward. Um, and there's, like, not really any indication of how or why he died. But when they open him up for the autopsy, the coroner said that, um... He was just, like, a 55-year-old Caucasian male, appears to be in decent shape. There's a one-inch abrasion on his left cheek where his face hit the rug. Mm-hmm. Aw, hi, Socks. Socks says He's like, I don't like you or what you stand for. So, basically, like, they think it's, like, a natural causes thing at first. Um, and then they open him up and... Find it's full of bacon? No, there's, like, a whole lot of internal damage. And they're, like, to the point where... It's consistent with, like, a crushing or an intense, like, prolonged beating. But the outside exterior of his body, there's, no. There's, like, rug burn on his cheek and a half-inch laceration on his scrotum. So he's like a pinata, is what you're telling me. Where it's, it looks pretty, it looks nice on the outside, but inside you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, rug burn on his face, where his face hit the rug. And a half-inch laceration of his his scrotum, which was swollen and discovered. Discolored. How many scrotums do you think they have to look at to determine that kind of stuff? Probably a lot. Um, 
and it says the bruising had spread up through the groin area and across his right hip. So whatever hit him in the nuts hit him hard. See, that's the one time I would count a guy who says, like, getting hit in the nuts hurt. If you bruise that much, you can equivalent to period pain at that point. Yeah. I have, I have no well, problem with that. I need to go ahead on that. So, but your whole hip needs to be bruised. Not just yes. be like, oh, my nut hurts. <laughs> I don't care. These are Courtney's criteria. I don't know why I said that in a sing-song voice. It sounded better in my head. Anyway. You have a better singing voice than I do, so you can sing more. Um, So he opens up the front of his torso, and there's like a surprising amount of blood and extensive internal damage. So the coroner concludes that the wound to Flanagan's genitals has likely been caused by a hard kick. He'd also taken a blow to the chest so severe it had caused lethal damage. So, next to manner of death, he marks it as a homicide. Even though at the scene, they were like, yeah, no, natural causes. Dude had a stroke or something. Um, so you can't the see their insides at the scene normally. Well, no, normally. If you can, then you're like, not natural causes. Clearly not something na- happened. It clearly was an owl. Obviously, yeah. Obviously an owl. Obviously. Most logical solution. Call that Occam's razor. Or, or if you live with a bunch of cats, it was the cats. They yeah. just, they will eat you. So the detective pretty much just Did you learn from Rachel through. or something? Yeah, I'm going to soldier through. We're on a theme here. Three episode run of just keep on keeping on. Uh, okay. They mark it as homicide. The detective calls him and is like, what are you talking about? This is clearly natural causes. The doctor, um... Did he, just get a, did he get a trifold, like, one of those uh, stands and be like, Homicide! Look at these insides, they don't look good. I would assume yes. With, like, some red string a la It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Where yeah. he's like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the guys. I had it until just a second ago. Oh, who's the person that Charlie's, like, trying to track down? Can't I find don't know. It. Starts with P. Anyway, that's what I'm imagining. Okay. All right. It's a famous repeating. Pit slash okay, meme. all right. It is. Yeah. You all knew what I meant. We're all here together in the same tiny closet slash Ashley's bedroom. And as we're all in here together, you all know that I just nodded my head vehemently. And I'm just knitting sassily. I think Mike was right. We really embraced podcasting as a visual medium. <laughs> we've, we've done really well with that. There's so much more dancing that you guys cannot see. <laughs> There are and a lot it's of facial expressions that you're And it's mostly out on. me dancing as it Ashley is. tells me yeah. horrible things. Dance it out. It's okay. All right. Back to the story. So the detective calls the doctor and is like, okay. So the doctor tells him, look, the internal injuries that I found in this dude are stuff that I'm used to seeing in like crash victims or someone who's found under a heavy object. So yeah, homicide. Uh, there aren't that many murders in Beaumont. It says Greg's was, like, one of ten that year. I know, it seems unusual to both of us who are living near big cities where, like, ten a day, probably. There are apparently three serial killers in Cleveland. Just remember this. Keep that in mind. Just remember this. Boston's, like, half hour south of here. Manchester's not that great either, so, like, between the two of them. At least 10 a day. I want right. to pull out my bad Boston accent a la Don't The Departed. Do it. Don't do it. So, 
1 of 10 that year. Pretty average year. Most of them not super mysterious. Um, so this was like a once in a career type case. Uh, the Do they pull out a big magnifying glass? and a? Uh, um, yes. The detective is Detective Apple, which I love. How about them apples? Detective Apple. Um, <laughs> Just going to pull so, out all my Matt Damon references right now. I like it. I can't fight you with a pen. The article that I love, it says, uh, if you enjoy working a stubborn whodunit, which Apple does, then this one was an exciting challenge. But the problem with the hard cases is that they are indeed hard. That's what she said. (laughs) So. Just a picture Michael Scott popping up right next to my face. Yeah. Yeah, I do. That's what she said. So the physical evidence pretty much doesn't add up. So they're starting to think, like, what if he was beaten to death elsewhere? Because the room was pristine. Like, there was nothing wrong with the room. What if it was a ghost? I did entertain that for a minute. I don't know if Detective Apple did, but before I finished the article for the first time, I was like, clearly some poltergeist activity here. Biggins, go investigate that room. Do it! And and just angrily shout at the air. (laughs) Just wait, I'll... I can't because I know what I want Zach Bagans to ask him, but we haven't got there yet. So I can't do it. I can't do the impression. So we're going to move on so that I can. Okay. So they were thinking like maybe he was beaten to death elsewhere and brought back to the hotel room and like carefully placed on the rug. But that doesn't really add up either. I'm just picturing, like, a princess dropping, like, they beat him up and then just gently, like, lower him with majestic music, like, she's supposed to rise again. Yeah. A la Romeo and Juliet. Exactly, yes. Um, So the question becomes, how does a man get beaten so severely that ribs crack, inner organs tear, the heart ruptures, and all of that is without significant exterior damage to the torso? Ghost. So there's, like, bruising and a cut at his crotch, but otherwise, no outward signs of a beating. So they're stumped. Um, Ghost. And also, how, if that is what happened, how does it happen in a hotel room without toppling anything over, disturbing it, and no one... So, how does that happen in a hotel room where nothing's toppled over, disturbed, and no one hears anything? Because, like, they interview the people in the rooms around him. Um, One of the rooms, and this is important later, one of the rooms is occupied by a group of union electricians. I'm not going to say what I want to say. So they, like, interview all of them. They're like, no, we didn't hear anything. It's a pretty quiet night. Like, we... Yeah. So, and also, why? Like, he doesn't have any enemies. Talks a lot to Susie. She clearly, like, is still deeply in love with him. Like, to this day. Pretty sure. Um, Like, she was heartbroken, but furious at the same time, it says. Um... It's a Susie she, scorned! Susie scorned! No, it sounds like she married him twice. Like, they were married when they were, like, basically kids, and then they separated and married again in middle age. Please so, describe my face. You're, you're probably as heartbroken as Susie is right now. The second time they got married, they had been married for 15 years. Oh, if you like someone 15 years after you marry them enough to marry them again. No, so like they were married when they were young and they went their separate ways. It doesn't really say much about why. That's not really any of our business other than it's not motive because like 
after she called him again, the first thing he said to her on the phone was, I've been waiting for you to call. And then they ended up getting remarried and were together for 15 years after they were, like, the remarriage was 15 years. Oh, that makes sense. Now Cordy's just sobbing into her hand. This, this, this scarf for the, and the backlog is just going to sa- smell it's like gonna, my tears. It's just going to be a real salty scarf. No. Tears. So his brother and his coworkers, they're like, no, everyone at our company likes them. He rarely intersected with anyone else at the Elegante. Like, he went to his room in the early evening, stayed there by himself, never went to the bar, didn't, like, socialize, drink a lot, pick up women on the road. So it's, like, not... There's no really... His heart was only for Susie! Yeah! Um, They... Maintenance... They... Like, they're desperate. They're grasping for straws. The maintenance records show that at some point early in the night he died, he was cooking uh, popcorn in the microwave and accidentally blew an electrical circuit, which um, the outage had affected the adjacent room, so room 349, and the rooms directly underneath. But, like, he... (laughs) He calls the front desk to report the outage, and it says, confessed his role sheepishly to the man who came up to reset the breaker. He's just a good human being! So, like, it leads to two theories. So, the first one is, it says the first involves sex, because the maintenance man who came up happened to have a rap sheet as a sex offender. So, like, they're wondering if that guy maybe came up, stabbed him in the nuts with a screwdriver or something like that. They don't know. But, but like, okay, wait, so what does the sex offender thing have to it, do with it? Literally nothing. Nothing. It was a theory that, like, never got beyond wild suspicion, but it was, like, 50% of the theories that they had to follow. Because they have two theories, and that's it. Um, the second one involves the guys who had been staying in room 349, which were the union electricians. Um, they were there for an extended stay doing a job for an oil company, and they would, like, get together in each other's rooms and just pretty much drink. And, like... They got nothing else to do. Yeah, you might as well. So the cops are like, well, what if some of them have been partying next door the, and the electricity went out? Like, maybe drunk and annoyed, they, like, knock on his door. Or, like, they get in an argument in the hallway or something. Is it possible that he could have returned to his room and then collapsed? Like, they did question the electricians, but none of them said they had had any interaction with him. So, not a whole lot on that front. Um, nine days later, so nine days after Greg's death, the detective and a colleague go back to the third floor, so, like, the wing where his room was, and they question some of the same men again um, wearing a hidden video camera. Uh, the men that they encountered, it says, were friendly and appropriately curious. So, like, not overly interested, but not also clearly trying not to be interested mm-hmm. um, they were normal people yeah just like, they're like the guy happens? in the room next to you is dead yeah, and you're like kind of curious like what happened but you yeah. don't want to be like you don't want to so- be like super ghoulish like we probably would be like tell us everything <laughs> hands clasped no. to face like i want to know they're not like they're not like that they're just like it's the, they don't a, have the binoculars says, out against um, the window and stuff like that <laughs> right Right. They're not pulling a rear window. They're not climbing in windows, snatching people up. No, none of that. Um, so Lance Mueller, it says, asks, yeah, what happened to that guy anyway? And he is important. 
Um, he well, was his the man. name is Mueller. Like Mueller. Yes. So he and his coworker Tim Steinmetz were the men registered in room 349. So they were the ones who like actually were in the room next to. Um, and Apple goes, hell, I don't know. <laughs> like, that's what I'm trying to find out. And it says, he tells them, like, it's almost like something fell on him. So we're trying to see if anyone heard something or if someone knows somebody who did hear something or, like, maybe somebody messed with him. But, like, you guys are his neighbors. So if anyone heard anything, like, that's why we're starting here. And they have nothing. He's a good apple. That's your one and only apple pun that you're allowed. What kind of apple is he? A honey crisp? I said one apple. One apple pun. That's not a pun. Anyway, so they got nothing. They're like, we thought we heard him coughing when we came back up from the bar, but beyond that, we don't know. And they seemed just just as confused by the idea that something had crushed him, because Mueller says, there's nothing in these rooms heavy enough to do that. A ghost elephant. Yes. Occam's razor, friends. Doesn't really apply in this case, though, because the most logical thing is not actually what happened, because what happened is just so out of the ordinary. Um, so they go down the hall, find three more electricians, and they, like, tried to be helpful. There's One just a hotel said, full of electricians. It is, because, like, that's where they keep, that's where the company is paying for them all to stay, because they're working for the oil company, and the oil company's putting them up, so they're putting them all up in the same place. One tab. Yeah, which is what Greg... Uh, Flanagan's company was doing too because he was a regular every week he was at the Elegante so it's not you know but so they said that when they saw the body on the gurney in the elevator he first assumed that they were like caterers with a cake or like a big food tray and Apple's like that's a better thought alright um, they give them all their contact information they're like yeah we're going to be in town for a couple, couple more months if anything comes up let us know let us know if you need anything so weeks go by. Apple, Susie's pissed. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, the detective is like working any theory he can imagine. So like, did Susie have him killed? Did his uh, Greg's brother and business partner Michael have have something to do with it? Nothing that even hints at either of them. So um, by the end of 2010, the detectives are they're stumped. We have nothing else. We don't know. In November, the family had put up a $50,000 reward. Produces nothing. No one knows anything. Um, This is like a really bad game of Clue. Yeah. Uh, Michael hires a private detective from Houston. Um, He meets with the detective. The the private detective meets with the cop. Nothing comes out of it. Um, And then Susie calls Ken Brennan. Who is like, I love him. All right. So he, she calls Ken. Ken is like on the golf course. There's like a little bit of background. It's it's great. Um, that first call, she tells him like the whole story: his death, the coroner's findings, the dead end. He says, "Send me some files. I'll take a look." Um, she mentions that, like, she'd been feeling under the weather, but she tried to pull together what she has as soon as possible and send it off to him. And he's like, well, you need to fucking take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a direct quote in the article. <laughs> and um, 
I'm going to just read you the paragraph that describes Ken Brennan's voice. So it says, like everything Brennan says, this came in a thick New York accent and a voice that sounds like it's strained through a cubic yard of gravel. It was a no bullshit, you better listen to me command. That was all the more startling because he had said something tender and it endeared him to Susie immediately. So Wait, the Brennan's the electrician who was next to her? No, Mueller, her, Mueller is the electrician. Ken Brennan is um, the private eye that okay. Susie hires. Um, Ken Brennan, former Long Island cop and a DEA special agent who now makes a good living as a private detective in Florida. Um, of course in Florida! I know, right? That actually seems like the most Florida though. thing. If you're, you're a former Long Island cop yeah, and DEA you're a agent. snowbird. You're like, you know what, I'm going to go to Florida. Fuck it, I'm out. I mean, as a DEA agent, you know Florida's just streaming full of stuff to find. Yeah, like if you're ever bored and you want a case... You got one. Is your private eye? Do you? There's another article that they did about him. It's called The Case of the Vanishing Blonde. That's also really good. Um, it's we'll Vanity post Fair. And he's like, it helps. It actually helps Susie find him because, like, he's recommended to her by a lawyer friend. Um, but, like, he gets, he has a reputation for solving really hard, cold cases, which is what this is going to turn into pretty soon. Brennan visits Susie in April, and he asks her a lot of hard questions about, like, their relationship, about Greg's faithfulness, about insurance arrangements. Like, he's trying to make sure... She didn't do it. She had no motive to have him killed. Like, they know she didn't do it, but, like, they have to... They have to work the angle that did she have him killed. Um... Did she put a hit on him kind of a thing. Which, like, Long Island cop, DEA, he's the one to work it out. He would know. He would know. So, he asks her one more thing. He says, was there anything about the crime scene that didn't seem right to you or that seemed off? And she tells him she was surprised that the room was so warm when his co-workers came in the next morning because he likes to crank the AC up at night. So, she she said the only thing that really stood out to her was that the they said the room was warm when it shouldn't have been warm. The AC should have been on all night. That is true. If I ever come into a room where you're sleeping and it's warm, I know something's a fuck up. Yeah. Uh, like I said, man after my own heart. Sleep in the Arctic tundra. Yeah, it sucks. Sleep at a normal temperature, bitch. No. False. All right. So he goes home. He makes arrangements for a second trip. This time he's going to go to Beaumont. So where the hotel was. Excuse me again. So the detective, Detective Apple, comes out to a sports bar. They eat. They talk. Um, it says, Brendan told Apple what he always tells the cops he meets in his work, which is, look, I'm not a maverick. I'm not, I don't do things half-cocked. If I decide we're going to do this, we're going to do it as a team. There's nothing I'm going to do that you're not going to know about it. And there should be nothing that you're going to do that I don't know about. The one thing I won't do is I'm not going to fuck up your case. I've been doing this a long time, but I also know that you're the one in charge, so it's your case. Which, I was like, I love this guy already. He's my favorite. Um, why are there not more like him? Right? So, partly what he's going, what partly what he's trying to do there is he's trying to feel out the detective, the cop. Um, he's like, I don't want to work with someone I don't like and someone that I can't communicate with. 
it's going to make his job 10 times harder if him and the cop don't agree. Absolutely. Um, so he decides, you know what? I like the Beaumont detective. Apple's like, yep, he has good people skills. I'm good with it. So they decide they're going to work together. Um, the next morning, Detective Apple picks up Brennan. They go to the hotel room. Apple shows him all the crime scene photos, the autopsy results, all of that. But he basically goes over what he had done for the last seven months. And it's like, here's where we are. And Brennan goes, I think I know how he died. I think I know when he died. And I think I know who killed him. Pretty sure I know how we're going to catch him. And then Apple's like, come on, man, really? What are you, like, some kind of mentalist here? Yeah, so he goes, hear me out. I'm going to tell you what I think, but first I have to call his wife. So he calls Susie, and he says, your husband, is he left-handed or right-handed? She says, he's right-handed. And when he smokes, does he smoke with a cigarette in his left hand or his right hand? She says, always smokes with his right hand. Are you sure? I'm positive. So Brennan hangs up, and he says... Look, she's already told me how cold he likes to keep his room, so that helps me with time of death. Um, The way he sees it, the air conditioner is shut down with everything else when the circuit breaker blew. They know what time that is. The repairman had left Greg alive and well around 8.30 p.m. So the movie resumes, so apparently he forgot to flip the AC back on. And it says, it would have taken a few minutes for the room to get warm enough for him to notice that he'd not turned it on, but by the time that it did warm up that much, he'd been, he was dead. That's why he was found in a warm room. <laughs> it says, as Brennan put it, in September, it's hot as fuck in Beaumont, Texas. He's not wrong! <laughs> He's not. I love it. So the cigarette rules out the idea that he'd been beaten somewhere else, even if it's, like, just in the hallway. Um, the way they say it was, the hallway scenario might have explained why nothing was disturbed in the room, the cigarette rules it out because there's no way that his attackers in putting him back, like if they moved the body back into the room, there's no way they would have added the touch of cupping one hand under his body and delicately placing a burning cigarette between his fingers. How did he not burn the hotel down with that cigarette? I don't know. Um, it says it's also unlikely given the ruptured atrium that Greg would have had time to come back into the room after such a beating and call me like, needle up calmly light up right before keeling over. Like, he wouldn't have had the time to do that. So, more likely, he says he thinks Greg had lit the cigarette himself before whatever happens to him happened. Um, And if he's right-handed, why was it found in his left hand? So, the way he sees it, Brennan says what he thinks happened is Greg gets up from the bed, heads to the door, moving the cigarette to his left hand so that he can grab the door handle with his right hand. Which, like... Fair. If you're so right... I'm so right dominant, that actually makes sense to me. I'm like, oh, yeah! yeah, Like, yeah, it's not gonna... Yeah, you switch hands. Um, So it says, It's hard to see this making sense, but Brennan had learned to be patient. It says, It was a mistake to let what you do not know race out ahead of what you do. Crime is a puzzle. If there's even a small piece that did not fit, the puzzle was incomplete. So he's willing to follow the evidence in unlikely directions, even when the conclusions they suggested were absurd. So essentially what they say is he could not have been beaten to death in his room based on the evidence, but he had died there and he died quickly after sustaining the wounds somehow. Um, so that's pretty much, he's convinced 
that Greg had been like minding his business minutes, even maybe seconds before he was killed. So that leads to the electricians who were close. Um, it says their room had been partly blacked out by the blown circuit at the same time Greg's had been. So they may have been drunk. They may have confronted him, whatever. Um, so Brennan asks Apple, did you interview them? And he says, yeah, they were nice. See anything hinky? No, no. And he says, I'm sure if they were drinking, they had to talk about it to each other. So somebody knows about them. Probably one or two of their close friends or their coworkers are going to know about this. So they go to um, the coroner. Ken wants to know if the injuries he saw may have been a severe beating. Yeah, maybe. Um, the He tells him, look, the injuries to his groin might have been caused by a hard kick. Maybe. If they had been wearing steel-toed boots, which the electricians next door were wearing. Hmm. So, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so Brennan asks Apple to start interviewing the guys who'd worked with the electricians that previous summer. Uh, he goes back home and he inspects the surveillance video from the hotel. And the cameras show him coming in from work that evening. They show the electricians, like going out to their cars in the parking lot, but, like, nothing super obviously suspicious. Um, so he goes back to Beaumont in late May of, it would have been 2011 at that point, I think, and they go to see some of the co-workers who hadn't yet been interviewed. At that point, the union electricians had been gone for seven months, and they still really don't have anything. Um, but Brennan's convinced this is worthwhile because human nature being what it is, if any of the electricians knew something about the death, word would have spread. Like, so they make the rounds. Um, yeah, a lot of them had heard about the guy who died of the Elegante. It's a shame. Does anyone know what happened to him? Like, he says, as Brennan would remember it later, one of the crew foremen had heard something about a gun going off in a boarding house. And Apple's like, No. That's not the same case. This is the one where the guy got in a fight at the Elegante. He's like, never heard anything about that. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So as they're leaving that guy's house, Brennan says, we need to go back to the hotel. And Detective Apple's like, what are you going back there for? We already looked at the room. We've checked the room out thoroughly. What are we looking for? He says, we're going to look for a bullet. So they tear apart the room. They inspect the floor, the furniture, the walls, everything. Like, on their hands and knees. Flashlights under the furniture. Which, that's a risky move for a hotel. But alright. Oh, yeah. yeah. So many things that you don't want to see, especially if you turn on a black light. Mm-hmm. They find nothing. Nada. Uh, Brennan is frustrated because he's like, somehow a gun was involved. And says they were about to give up. Well, they noticed an indentation in the wall alongside the closed door that led to the adjoining room. It's in a repair job. So it says it appeared to be right where the handle of the door would hit the wall. It's like typical hotel room wear and tear. But when he swings the door open to double check, the knob and the dent don't quite match. So the doorknob hits the wall slightly to the right. So Brendan's like, all right, let's take a look at the other side. And... When they get there, there's a small, neat hole in the wall that had been patched with a daub of, like, faintly pink filler. Turns Is out it to toothpaste? be dried toothpaste. 
My dad taught me that. If you yeah. ever, life lesson, if you put up uh, pictures in an apartment where you have to put a nail on the wall, you get some white toothpaste. Because it yeah. looks like cock. Thanks, Papa Bear. The more you know. The more you know. My dad teaches me, teaches me lots of fun tricks like that. Yeah. So he measures his height against his hip, and he walks back to 348, measures the indentation, so it lines up. So a bullet has gone strings. through the wall. So, yeah. So or a laser. the neat hole in 349 marks the entry. The larger hole in 348, it's exit. So they like, it says, Beaumont's crime scene investigators carefully excavated both holes and shined a laser through. The trajectory pointed straight up to the bed where Greg had been sitting, smoking, eating candy, and watching his movie. They Brennan's excavated like, some holes? Yeah, they did. Brennan goes... This motherfucker was shot. <laughs> I love this guy. I really do. I want to be friends with him because I, I feel like he's the kind of detective you want to just hang I out feel with. Like he's one of us. One of us. One, one of us. Exactly. Uh, Doctor Brown, however, not convinced. So he it says so it says he had examined the man's body from head to toe, cut him open, inspected his inner organs one by one and reverse the expectations of the police. So now they want to tell him that his careful and professional observations are wrong, that he missed, of all things, a bullet wound. Sorry, no. But what if it's not a real big, like, it could be like a graze or something into the right place? Because, you know, we are actually quite fragile as humans. So Brennan volunteers to do the talking. um, (laughs) Which... Risky move, but okay. No, it's a uh, great move. It's a great move. Great move. But, all right. Always put so, Brennan in charge. In order to follow up on their theory that he was shot, they have to get the coroner to rewrite his findings because you can't argue in court that a defendant had shot someone if the medical examiner's office concludes that the victim had not been shot. Yes, that Which, is true. Good point. You can't have two people saying separate things and then being right. like... Right. You can't well, press charges for with? a shooting when the coroner's like, now nah, he's beat to death. You get laughed out of court. So, I don't think you'll even be allowed in court. Probably <laughs> not. Be like, no. Probably not. Um, the judge will just stand there and be like, you shall not pass! Yes. Wear their special white robes that day. You know? Have a stick and a fun hat. Class it up. So, they... <laughs> Sit down, they tell him, look, we're working on the Flanagan case. And the doctor's like, oh, did you catch the guy that beat him up? <laughs> and they're like, no, we're not there yet. And then so they explain what they discovered, trying to, like, approach the subject delicately. But Brown catches on and, like, quickly gets the picture. And he says, you're trying to tell me this man was shot. And I'm telling you, he wasn't shot. So he or can see where he? they're... They, he can see where they're going. He says... I'm not exhuming the body. It's expensive. It's a pain in the ass. It disturbs the family. And it's a lot of work. And it's impossible because the body had been cremated. So the ovens, it says, were hot enough to destroy metal fragments. And so Brennan goes, look, just let us take out the photos from the autopsy. Let us go through them and let us see what we can find. So, like, he humors them. Like, yeah. All right. Um, So they look through the pictures They are passing them around, just kind of, like, crowdsourcing it. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just picturing them, like, 
Like, you know, like you're sharing your vacation yeah. pictures. Like, here's the one of his insides yeah. of his liver and his intestines. Exactly. Here's one of his face. Here's one of his scrotum. Here's right. one of his, like, asshole. Like, you know, what you do after vacation. Exactly. So, okay. <laughs> so that's pretty much what's going on. Um, so they pass them back and forth across the desk. Brennan's pointing some stuff out, like, asking questions. Like, what about this here? And the doctor's like, yep, that's the liver. And what about this one? That's the intestines. So it's, it's exactly what I said. Yeah, yeah. Um, it says Brendan knew exactly what he was looking at. You're going to want to brace for this. I can't. There's a fucking cat on my lap. All right, we'll let him anchor you to the chair then. I'm sorry, fucking comma cat, because I don't want that. <laughs> I need that distinction. He is an asshole, but I need that distinction. Uh, I love it. So, Brennan, it says, I'm just going to read you this entire paragraph and exchange here. So it says, Brennan knew what he was looking at. The bullet had entered Greg's scrotum and torn up through him. Ah! The skin skin of the scrotum was soft and pliable and had folded over the entry wound, making it less obvious what it was. The eternal injuries traced the bullet's fatal trajectory. Brennan says, Doc, could all of this damage have been done? Besides blunt force trauma, could a bullet cause the same? The doc says, yes, it could, but that's not what happened here. He needs to open his mind. He, I mean, he's very experienced. He's got a method. Like, he doesn't like people questioning his results, and I get that. But at the same time, are you not still a scientist? Like, what about the scientific method? Come on now. What it, aren't you curious? Yeah. I'd be like, fucking curious as shit. Be like, wait, what? Wait, like, thank you. Someone got what? shot through the scrotum? Yep. Scrotum? How many octaves can your voice go through in one word? 17. So, okay. So he, he says, yes, it could. That's not what happened here. This man was beaten. All right. But could it have? And so Brennan finds something in a photo that supported his argument. He says it looked like a track. Brown goes, you could get the same thing from being beaten. And then they get to the heart. And Brown passes the detective, the photo to the detectives. And Brennan's like, Doc, what? That's a bullet hole, Doc. So Brown takes the picture. What? And so he points. That's a fucking bullet hole. <laughs> and he goes, sometimes when a man is kicked or hit with a blunt object in the chest... It's the right atrium that normally bursts. Doc, that's a fucking bullet hole. (laughs) And he looks again and he goes, yup, that's a bullet hole. (laughs) And then he goes, it says after a long moment, he added, the media is going to kill me on this. (laughs) Uh, My thing is, how many times did Brennan have to say fuck? I don't think it's a question of have to. I think it's a question of wants to. I think it's, it seems like his favorite word. It's about, I'm going to go with about 20 like before I, said, I convinced him. One of us. One of us. One of us. One of us. So, okay. Seven months later, or no, I'm sorry. Tim Steinmetz was probably feeling pretty okay about the meeting with the Texas cops. Like, getting the call is probably shocker. But because it had been more than seven months since he and Lance Mueller had come home from the job in Beaumont. And now two cops from down there go all the way to Wisconsin to see him and question him about the guy who died next door. And so he and Mueller 
confer about it beforehand by phone. No. To get their story straight. <laughs> I hope you know I'm going to leave it like that because that's pretty great because you kept trying to talk and I was just like, nope. I gave up after a little bit. Okay. So they try, they like talk on the phone to get their story straight. And then he goes and he meets with the detectives in an interview room at the Chippewa County Sheriff's Department. And like, really, they could not have been nicer. They were sweetness itself. Tim sits in a swivel chair on one side of a big wooden table. And they sit opposite him with their notebooks and their files. And they're super official. And they say, thank you for coming in. This is all routine. Don't even worry. (laughs) So they walk him through the evening. They ask a bunch of questions. And he, like, answers them. He tries to remember every detail. Except for the part about the gun, of course. But, like, they didn't push him at all. How nice. Ken Brennan, the older one. Did you hear that the guy next door to you died? Yeah, we did hear that. But, like, we didn't know for sure what was going on. We had no idea. We didn't hear anything. There was no banging. Nothing. Like, that's why this is kind of weird. So they, like, take some notes. They write out the statement. And he says, and that's it, huh? Yeah, that's it. You guys flew all the way here for that? Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, he stands up to go. He says, is that it? Hang on a second. This is Brennan. His tone is, like, (laughs) different, harsh. And he says, it was till you signed that statement. Now, you've got a problem. So he's like, okay. And he sits down. He goes, now you're going to tell us what really happened. Because we know what happened. Because now you're going to jail with him. Do you want to go to jail with Lance? And he says, why am I going to jail with Lance? And he says, you just made a false police report. That's why. Apple, like, speaks up. He goes, Tim, we know what happened. We know everything that happened down there. And, like, I realize that you're trying to be noble and protect a friend. But you're about to get your whole family in a bind. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Can, can, can I make an Apple joke? You get one more. So, Apple is kind of like a Mutsu. Like, you know, kind of sweet, a li- maybe a little sour. But really, he's a Granny Smith. <laughs> Packs gonna, a punch. I'm going to assume that that was a hilarious Apple joke. That, like, Apple fanatics are going to get. But, uh... Just gonna move on. <laughs> really thought hard about that one. You I'm did. Hurt. So the whole story comes out. Uh, it's later corroborated that same day uh, by Trent Pisano, who had been in the room 349 with them. So between the two accounts, the following scenario emerges. Are you ready? I embraced. <laughs> you are. And prepared, and I still have beer left, so we're good. Okay. So they've been drinking beer. Mueller asks Pisano, hey, we have a bottle of whiskey out of my car and bring my pistol, which is a 9mm Ruger. Pisano returns. Mueller takes out the gun. And he's, like, playing with it to everyone else's alarm. He's playing with it. Like, points it at Steinmetz, drops to the floor, curses at him. He pointed it at Pisano's direction, which Pisano was at the, f- the foot of the bed when it went off. And so Pisano thought for a second that he'd been hit. And then, like, he turns and he sees a hole in the wall behind him. And they say, Mueller freaked out. He bundled up the gun, takes it back to the car. And when he comes back, Pisano is, like, back in his own room. He's pissed. He's disgusted. I would be, too. He almost shot me. Yeah, like, what a dick. 
It's like gun safety rule number one. Don't point it at anyone you don't want to kill. Loaded or unloaded. Not cool. Also, real question. Alcohol plus gun. Yeah. No. Why? why? Okay. First of all, why would you actually like get the gun? Why do you humor him on that? I would not fucking humor him on that. You're like, no, fuck you. I'm not getting your gun. What are you talking about? Crazy. Go fuck yourself. Yes, exactly. So he comes back up after he takes the gun out to his car. Pisano's gone. Tim and Lance go down to the bar. Because they're like, that was crazy. Let's get more wasted. I Uh, need a drink to forget. Right. So Steinmetz says they didn't know for sure there was anyone staying in the room next door until, as he remembers, they hear someone in the room coughing very late after midnight when they came back from the bar. So the truthful one lays out the entire thing, tells them the whole thing. Um, And then when they see the room or they see the police in room 348 the next morning and they see the gurney, they were disturbed. Like they flipped out. And he says, I thought he had killed that guy. So the only detail that doesn't fit based on the statements is um, the part about they heard a cough when they get back from the bar because it just, the timeline wouldn't add up. So there are a couple of reasons that neither detective is like putting that much weight on that detail. Uh, Because if it's true, then Greg survived being shot a lot longer than the coroner had believed possible, but it still doesn't change the fact that he died because he was shot. It might have been like a death kind of cough. Like he's just, like it's like the last. Um, If anything, like it sort of makes their failure to check on him that much worse. Because, like, now they know, yeah, there is someone in the room next door, but, like, he's probably fine. We're not going to check and make sure we didn't scare the living Jesus out of him at best. Um, But so, more likely, they think, is they had heard him coughing the night before. So, like, it wasn't the night that he died that they heard the coughing. It was the night before. But they were drunk that night, too. So, if they put it, I don't know... If they put it based on their memories, basic how yeah, would, how would and like if you're drinking if you're a, it seems like they're functioning alcoholics yeah so I mean your brain's gonna get a little scrambled right. with that much and booze in your system. The only thing that doesn't match the detective's reconstruction is that cough, which they go hard at, even though it doesn't really matter in the long run. Like they want to know. So he says, Brennan asks him, did anyone go next door to check on the guy? And Tim goes, no. I always ask myself if I was in a situation like this, you know, what would I do? And then he says, I admit, like, but then he gets cut off because the detectives have something else they want him to do. And the something else that they want him to do is call up his buddy, Lance, and then they're going to record the phone call. I mean, I would do it to stay out of the fucking jail. Yeah. So he says, um, hey, what's up? And Lance is like, not much, just sitting around. And he says, um, well, I just got back from down there. He goes, how'd it go? He says, well, I told him the whole story, you know, what had happened that we were sticking to there, you know. What's that? He says, what's that? What, what do you tell him? He goes, you know, the story that we were sticking to, that we got home late that night, you know, the guy coughed or whatever. And he says, uh, yeah, I, uh, I was, I was going to leave there then, but 
because like your lawyer said it'd be okay, right? You know, right? He says, and when I left there, they said, okay, you know, tell us the truth. So uh, I told him the truth of like what really happened. And it says, so he says, yeah, I told him the truth. And there's a long silence. So he says, when I left there, they said, okay, you know, tell us the truth. So, you know, I told him the truth of what really happened. There's a long silence at the other end. Mueller says, about the gun going off and all that? Yep. What did they say? Well, that I would be in trouble, you know, if I didn't tell them. Another silence. So what did they say? Not much. I don't know if they're going to get a hold of you or Trent or what the hell they're going to do. And it says Mueller sighed heavily. He groans. He says, what do they mean by that? I mean, tell us the truth. Did they say anything about the gun prior to that or what? He says, no. They said they just knew exactly what happened. Told me to stop fucking lying. They were pretty pissed. And then I told them exactly how everything went down and what really and truly happened. And so Tim says, you should probably call the detective right away because they're probably going to come and get your ass now that they know the truth and everything. And you should probably try to make some kind of effort, you know? The guy, he died from the gunshot. And he says, you shitting me, Tim? No, I'm not. My God, are you serious? Are you serious right now? He says, I'm serious. It's a heart attack. And he just, like, he doesn't want to believe it. So, like, the next few minutes of the call, he goes around and around and around with Tim. And he says his lawyer had obtained the autopsy. And it says that the guy hadn't died of a gunshot wound and had been all over the news. And he says it doesn't make sense. If there had been a gunshot, if he was killed from, like, a gun, they would have said something on the news. So, like, he says... He worked hard to convince himself that the accidental gunshot and the death of the man at 348 were unrelated and the autopsy report had confirmed it. And he says, it just, it doesn't make any sense. And he says, there's no way that the guy had been killed by a bullet. And he says, how are you doing, Tim? And Tim says, not good. <laughs> I'm not good. But yeah, that's pretty much. And so they end up charging and convicting Lance Mueller for the death. Um... The judge gives him 10 years, which is half of what the law allowed. Um, he did make an apology in court, but no matter how sincere it was, it was too late. Like, way too late. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it says, there was his criminally irresponsible decision to drunkenly play with the gun. As Steinmetz had said, they had suspected from the start that the bullet had at least helped kill the man in 348, even a heart attack which might have been the first assumption as the police rolled his body out on a gurney, could have been triggered by that gunshot. Um, and then it says, even after the coroner had ruled that Greg had died of, died of blunt force trauma, Mueller was happy to accept that something might have crushed him to death, even if it was hard to imagine what, but he was still worried enough about the gunshot because he had himself patched up that hole with toothpaste, hid the gun immediately in his car, and then stashed it with a friend for the first few days after the incident, and then handed it over to an attorney for safekeeping before he left Texas. Which was a huge mistake. Because if he'd come forward at any time prior to Brennan and Apple solving the mystery, which had taken about eight months, it's unlikely he would have been charged with manslaughter, much less have gone to jail because it was an accident. It was stupid, and it was drunk, and it was irresponsible, but it was an accident. But instead, he kept his mouth shut, and gambled from the start that whatever connection he had to this death wouldn't be discovered. And, like, pretty good odds, but not how it happened. Um, so yeah. 
they mystery death was that he had been shot in the nuts on a fluke. Oh my gosh, that is ridiculous. Crazy from start to end. Okay, this week in Podcast Corner, we have the Salty Canadian. So if you're looking uh, for reviews, rants, uh, a lot of other fun topics, then check out the Strange Canadian. Sarah definitely puts together a fun podcast that makes you want to keep listening. And our second participant in Podcast Corner, if you will, is Corpus Delecti. Um, I'm blanking on their names, but I remember that I really liked their cold case episodes. So, like, they do true crime. Um, not, like, their cases aren't really well known, which I like. There's a lot that I didn't recognize, but, like, enough that I did that I was like, okay, so, like, we're kind of on the same level. But they're... So they do a mix. Yeah. Their cold cases are really interesting to me. You love I a think, good cold case. I do. So, I think you will listen to some promos. Oh, hey there. You just caught me. I'm Sam of the Salty Canadian Podcast. That's really a rant. So, why not come join me? I do from movie, podcast reads, to things around my general. I'm thrown in there. You like just a bunch of Come join me over at the... I can be found anywhere that the podcast. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. A search the Salty so don't be salty and have a great day. Eh? Hey y'all, Jen and Lizzie Podcast here to tell you to check out our show. If true crime is your thing, it's ours too. With a touch of lightheartedness, Southern Charm. We cover compelling cases and crack them open for you. Serial killers, hitmen, historical hallmarks. We've got it all and bring you new episodes every Tuesday morning. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and most other podcast apps. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, too. That's C-O-R-P-U-S-D-E-L-I-C-T-I. See you Tuesday. And we're back, so go check those podcasts out. Add them to your rotation, you know. Um, thank you for listening to The Cult of Domesticity. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Chorus, Spotify, YouTube, Podbean. If we're not on your preferred app, let us know. We'll get on top of that. Um, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you listen to help spread the word. Or, as long as you're not breaking the Geneva Conventions, force others to listen. I just, I Is that really, okay, Ashley? I just really don't want to have to testify. Hey, like, I'm not into that. That's, Free trip to Brussels! That's true. Alright, you know what, maybe... <laughs> no, I still can't condone it. No, I'm sorry. Um... You can. Never been to Brussels. <laughs> they have some good sprouts, though. I had to. You know me. You know that I had to. <laughs> that was a good one. I'm going to give that to you. Thank you. All right. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcasts and at The Cult of Domesticity on Instagram to get the episode tip-off, recipe of the week, and additional information about the week's topics. You can also find our podcast merch on Threadless by searching for The Cult of Domesticity. And if you're feeling particularly generous, we set up a tip jar on PayPal. Finally, you can suggest a recipe or a topic or a quote, I think we said. Yeah. Um, you can email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. We're pretty friendly. Yeah. Usually. You can email us things. Most of the time. Um, some high fives all around, Ashley. High five. Yeah.